Hello. What's up, Zach? I'm terrible at opening these things sometimes. Um, how are you? I'm well. How about you? I'm great. How do you define palindrome? Well, I learned just a few minutes ago it is a word that can be spelled both forward and backwards. Uh, so, <laughs> What is your favorite palindrome? A race car. How about you? you? Uh, emoji that I'm not going to say out loud here, but it starts with a P <laughs> and has a couple O's in it, and that we're just going to call it a day. Is gotcha. that the most used emoji? I would actually, I want to know what that is. No, that would be fun. Um, so, fun fact, we'll get near to a guest in a second, but I think this is interesting. So, I was thinking about this like, how do I, how, what do I think about uh, what this guy's old profession was? And it's race cars. And I'm not really a gamer in any kind of way. Um, I actually sold your son my Xbox like a long time ago. I remember that. Yeah, um, he was playing but, it last uh, night. Perfect. It's still being worked. Yeah. I am not into cars at all. But when I played video games growing up, I, I used two types of video games, like Madden sports, college football type of thing, and race cars. Yeah. But like, I'm not a car guy at all. Is that is that weird? I don't I know, think, man. I'm a car guy. Like, don't, so, you, uh, don't you think that would have converted into me wanting cars? Like in that kind of way? Like, I, yeah, it's so weird. Like, what was it? Well, Need I don't for know, Speed, man. Gran Turismo. I, I don't know. Playing uh, Rainbow but, Road on uh, the Wii. Rainbow Road. I have no idea what that is. Mario Kart, man. Okay. There you go. Dion, welcome to the show. Well, Thanks indeed. for having me, man. Well, it sounds like we need to get you out to a racetrack like in person, and I guarantee you'll be hooked for life. Got it. So it's like a Dave Matthews band concert. So you don't like the Matias Seaman concert, <laughs> but if you go to a, a race race, uh, a race car race, all you'll of a sudden get you've been to your 127th track day before you know it, right? <laughs> I, man, my wife a few years ago, uh, she got I got uh, one of the driving. Mm -hmm. experiences uh oh, for yeah. richmond international raceway awesome and i was uh i was riding in dale jr's car back in the day and i was and everyone's always asking me how fast were you going i'm like well one it's a short track two there's not a speedometer so you just you know and i was like for all i know i was going like 20 miles an hour <laughs> but i was having the time of my life man 100 uh, wait awesome. race cars don't have speedometers so we, at least the ones I drove, they have almost like a, a computer screen behind the dash, which there's like eight different pages that you're scrolling between that has all of the data in the car. But, you know, it's I, we get the same question, like, well, how fast do you go? And like the honest answer is, man, I have no clue what my top speed is. I know where like all my slowest speeds are because we're always trying to raise our slowest speeds in the corner, but no mm. clue what the top speeds are. But, you know, somewhere in the realm of 200, 205 or so, probably at Daytona, but you don't it, really is, know. Is speed the main metric that you guys track? Uh, more lap time, uh, which I guess is yeah. a function of speed, right? But yeah, lap time is what the language we're always talking in. It's always interesting to see kind of what... You know, and Tim's a big runner. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, speed in that case is probably what mile time. Uh, I would I would assume Tim. Yeah. You know, swimming it's per hundred um, mm -hmm. meters or yards, and biking it's actually watts, which is mm -hmm. interesting. And I didn't really realize that until about a year ago. Mm -hmm. So it's always interesting to kind of hear what the um, the main data point is there. Lap time, got it. All about it. <laughs> yeah. So you're not you're not, I guess, behind the wheel as much as you were. You got a, a, a super. Super cool startup called Blaze. What, yeah. uh, tell us about Blaze, how everything got started. 
Yeah, totally. So, you know, I, I think one of the important things to to know is, you know, a lot of people talk or think about professional athletes. And I think even when I was younger, you dream about, you know, becoming a professional race car driver or a football player, or a basketball player, whatever it might be. Right. Uh, and with that, you see the athletes making, you know, tons of money. They're set for life and, and they're good to go. The, the reality is when you get to the top, you know, I was paid to drive race cars professionally. But I wasn't being paid millions of dollars a year. I was making okay money, being able to pay the bills, stuff like that. But I always did some coaching on the side. And, and a lot of professional athletes, actually more than a, like more than 30,000 in just the United States are in this same scenario where they're paid, they're paid okay money, but they're doing some side hustles to continue to pay the bills. And what I found at the time as, as my professional career started to, to slowly wind down, I got more active in coaching. I started to realize some pretty significant issues in, in what I saw in the coaching market on both sides. One is, you know, there's a lot of bad information out there. Um, YouTube actually does more harm than good for most athletes beyond the like extra beginners. Um, and then what you'll find is this is a crazy stat to me. Five percent, five percent of youth coaches in sports have any relevant training. So there is a ton of bad coaches, a ton of misinformation out there. And at the same moment, if you look at actually high quality, really good professional coaches, it's a terrible business model. Like your average coach in the U.S. makes $35,000 a year. So like Mm -hmm. if I'm good at what I do, I don't really want to go do that for that little bit of money. I'm going to go do something else, right? So now you have uh, a lack of supply of good coaches. You have a massive amount of demand that wants good coaching but can't access it. So essentially what we try to do at Blaze is how do I help coaches scale themselves so that they can make a lot more money but then do it in a way that also is a better life balance, less travel, uh, do it in a way that I can I can coach easily alongside a professional uh, playing career but also do it in a way that's personalized to each and every learner because the truth is at the end of the day for anything – where there's more ways to do what, like th- that task. And so in sports, think music, think almost any hobby where there's, there's a few different ways that you can approach it. Coaching has to be personalized. I, I can't go watch a generic course and this all of a sudden understand it. Um, so we try to play around with this concept of how do we then scale personalization um, so that it makes it more affordable, more accessible to learners. And, and we built it initially in motorsports and, found tremendous success with it. So essentially what we do at Blaze is that we allow right now just athletes and just some select sports, but we're going to continue to scale this out to film themselves, whether it's game film, whether it's training film, whether it's filmed on your phone or filmed on more advanced cameras and send that video to professional coaches. A lot of our professional coaches compete professionally themselves in those sports. And they're going to asynchronously remotely film a coaching session that's personalized to you that's done in the same format that we use on professional sports where it's slow motion videos annotations it's me talking through exactly what you need to do differently focused on one or two things that's easy to understand it's easy to make changes and it's all living on your platform since you can go back and watch and re-watch your coaching sessions anytime and you can really build a relationship with your coach where you get monthly calls you get weekly training programs you get all of this type of stuff but it's 90 to 95% more affordable than working in person with them. And for coaches, they're significantly scaling their business. Hopefully that sort of makes sense at a high level. And and probably 95% more accurate, right? So like, I I remember about 
about this time last year, and mm-hmm. Tim, you probably remember this, like I was looking at calorie counters online because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is how much I'm working here, here. Here I'm working out. This is what I'm eating, whatever. What number should that be? It was literally a Delta of 1500 calories a day. <laughs> <laughs> so am i supposed to eat 2000 am i supposed to eat 3400 or whatever that number 100%. is like that. and i'm like 100%. what the heck so then i hired a dietitian mm-hmm. and they were like the number was actually um higher than i thought it was going to be it was like 2800 mm-hmm. and she's like for what you're doing this is what you you should be eating mm-hmm. How, but like you said the internet has so much bad information like i could be under eating every single day by 800 calories i mean that's that's a slice and a half of good pizza. I mean, like, like <laughs> and, let's let's go. And you you honestly would think like something like that. I would have thought the internet would have figured out or, or oh, gotten so more accurate. So imagine like you take something as externally as someone that doesn't know that much about it. That it seems relatively simple, and it could be that far off. Now think oh, about you know, whether it's a tennis serve or a basketball shot or a game situation where there's so many variables involved, you you can't possibly go watch a, a Steph Curry masterclass on shooting and actually really make that much improvement. Oh, come on, man. I, I want to <laughs> shoot like Steph. Hey, I, I play I play tennis and I tried to go watch the Serena Williams and then uh, masterclass video and it it was fun to watch. Like I'm a huge Serena fan. I think she's just freaking incredible. But like, did I actually pick up anything on tennis? If anything, it probably made me worse because now I think I'm doing this one thing wrong, but mm. in reality, I'm probably doing these other three things wrong, which are more important to fix. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I I heard you pitch several months ago, and I got it right away. Mm-hmm. And I have never had the opportunity to share your pitch with people that I work with. Mm-hmm in the the norfolk hampton roads area of virginia mm-hmm. and you were we asked you literally like 10 minutes ago 11 <laughs> minutes ago if you'd be willing to do your pitch just to show uh, other founders an example of what a great pitch is and you were so kind to uh to agree to do that so we will quote unquote put uh, three three minutes on the clock and uh awesome. you know if you're gonna give us our uh, give us your pitch yeah it's the first time i'm doing it in about four months and this is probably a tiny bit out of date but i said screw it let's give it a shot awesome all righty should i just kick off when i'm ready yeah. yeah awesome let's do it hey everyone my name is dion i'm a co-founder of blaze where we make uh professional coaching and mentorship more accessible and more affordable Meet Samantha and Anna, two Blaze customers. Samantha plays middle school basketball, and she really wants to make that high school team. And her mom, Anna, is going to do everything in her power to make that happen. So the first thing that Anna does is look for a coach for Samantha. After spending hours online researching who the right coach is for her daughter, she realizes a couple things, or a few things. Good coaches are really expensive. If you don't live in a metropolitan city, you probably don't live nearby any good coaches, which means you spend more time and more money traveling to those coaches. And finally, the best coaches have extremely limited availability. After hours of research, deciding to spend thousands of dollars to work with that coach, she reaches out and realizes that coach is fully booked and can't work with her daughter. Now what? At the same time, meet Sierra Burdick. She's a four-time Olympic gold medalist with Team USA. She's a WNBA player, and she's among the 35,000 professional athletes in just the United States, making less than 100K a year. And she's looking for a way to monetize her brand and her knowledge alongside a professional playing career. And that's why they both joined Blaze. So with Samantha, she gets started by taking a coach recommendation quiz where we can 
connect her with the right coach for her, and they immediately hop on an intro call to get to know each other. From there, Samantha builds a one-on-one relationship with her coach. That includes individual coaching sessions where you can see slow motion video, web camera, individual goals so that they can track progress. She's also then going to get a custom weekly training plan so she knows exactly what to work on and how to work on things each and every week. She also gets monthly check-ins, chat messaging with her coach. So she's really building a relationship not just a one-off coaching session with the coach. And here you can see her filming herself through those training plans. And this is what chat messaging looks like as well on the Blaze app. So they are really building that kind of consistency throughout the week. For coaches, they can now work from anywhere at any time. We combine a marketplace with free tools to help them scale that relationship. They easily set and track customer goals. We have automations built in to help them manage those customer relationships. And then we manage everything from payments to messaging to uploaded video and more for coaches. So the magic of Blaze is Samantha gets the one-on-one coaching and mentorship she needs to make her high school team, which she did. Anna saves 95% on personalized coaching for her daughter and accesses better coaches. And Sierra has increased her customer base by 10x while playing, still playing professionally. So our business model is we have a Blaze Plus subscription, $39 a month to $365 a year, includes some of those premium features like intro calls, monthly check-ins, and weekly training plans, or an a la carte video analysis coaching session. Prices range from $39 to $349, depending on like what sport you play and how much video you upload and all of that. So a little bit of traction, we've grown our MRR by 130% uh, year over year. 2021 revenue was up 70% year over year. But not only are we building a fast-growing business, we're building a higher retention business. We've seen less than a half of 1% annual churn on our Blaze coaches. And for our Blaze Plus customers, we've seen only a 7% annual churn. So high retention. We have a four-pronged approach for customer acquisition. First and foremost, partnerships with organizations. For example, we're partners with the two largest amateur racing organizations, a combined membership of over 100,000 drivers. Then we partner with Brams. For example, Mazda Motorsports is a partner of ours. They buy coaching sessions from us and they onboard their professional drivers to our platform and then give out those coaching sessions to their customers. Referrals and word of mouth is by far our largest uh, uh, growing segment of this. And then finally, we focus on outbound sales to schools as well. Currently, our customer acquisition costs are $102 and our lifetime value of customers are $985. So a really strong 9x LTV to CAC ratio. As we continue to grow within sports, we'll hit a $7.5 million annual revenue run rate by the end of 2024. And then scaling into things like music, arts, and dance, we'll be able to hit $120 million annual revenue run rate by the end of 2027. A little bit about the team. I spent 10 years professional uh, athlete and coach. I need something like Blaze to scale my own business. So I teamed up with Christopher Roberts, my co-founder and CTO. He previously built and sold a company in Australia before relocating to the United States to help me build this. I was the first coach on Blaze, one working with five people. It's more than 100 in our first year of business. Currently raising $750,000 pre-seed, $8.5 million cap and a 20% discount rate. This will be really used on 40% development to launch our iOS application and then 60% on marketing to reach those metrics I mentioned earlier. Again, we're Blaze. We make it more affordable and accessible to learn personally with the best in the world. Would love to answer any questions you have. Awesome. I think I might've gone over a little over three minutes there. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that was great. I mean, cool. to me, I mean, that's that's a great example for all the founders listening. Yeah, I mean, that just, 
even not uh, after not delivering that pitch in four months, uh, like you said, man, it sounds like you've done it a time or two. <laughs> I definitely fumbled it a little bit. It wasn't as smooth as we would like. Um, but, you know, once you do this a hundred times, I think it's like imprinted in my brain. Like I literally, I would be in the shower and I could just like, without any slides, I could probably just go through all of that. I've never written it down. It's just, it just lives up there. Wow. <laughs> Cause you went through uh, the launch accelerator, correct? Yep. And exactly. so how often do you, th you gave that pitch probably endless times while yeah. going through the accelerator? You know, so there's, I mean, gosh, there's, it's a 15 week program. You pitch every Thursday. So you're at least doing it once a week, but it's not like you set this in stone and, and leave it. You know, you, the, the, the evolution of that pitch from week zero of the program to like week five of the program was pretty big. And then week five to like week eight, you continue to iterate. And then finally week eight, week nine, you've got it settled. But what you don't see is all of the hours and hours and hours of filming yourself. Like I would film myself on Zoom, record it, watch the recording. Okay, I need to edit this, I need to edit this. Okay, I got to get it down in three minutes. I got to cut this out. And then I would, I would send a recording off to uh, Jackie from launch, who's phenomenal. And she would give me some feedback on what to cut out, what to, how to slow down. Cause sometimes I can fumble my words a little bit when I'm trying to include a lot of information in three minutes. Um, so there's a lot of practice behind the scenes. And then of course, beyond that in, in once you get into the program, you also get a lot of cold outreach from different investors that want to talk or, or want to get engaged, or maybe it's been a while. So you have to go back through the pitch again with them. So this is, you go through it a lot. I tell people that over and over and over again that uh, man, you like people like you make it seem so easy, but what you don't see is exactly what you said behind the scenes. How many hours of preparation go into it? And I didn't really also know that too well. Like I, I definitely was a hard worker already, um, and I thought we had an for for no zero to education that we were like in an okay ballpark. But then you 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 see how like the rock stars do, it, and you're like, oh man, I gotta <laughs> I gotta step up my game here. But you recorded yourself and rewatched it. I mean, like to oh, me, yeah. like that is like give yourself data aggregation. Like it, get like that stuff is data to me, right? So like get as much of that stuff as possible and then look back through it. So you're like, okay, well, this is this this is the thing that I need to improve. And mm -hmm. when I was used to work in TV, like I used to do that every night. And people were like, I remember like my mom and my my uh, my my siblings would come down. They're like, why is your newscast all on here? It's so I could rewatch it, or I would rewatch the shows that I did when they got put up on YouTube years later, it's just like, this is how you're going to learn. If this is your profession, you need to like watch where it is. And mm -hmm. when you read it, this is just, for just general, like one-on-one advice for like presentation one-on-one. When you read something, it's 180 degrees different than when you speak it. 100%. Anyone that thinks that they can read that thing in their head and be like, that's it. No, 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 no. You're going to fumble like crazy. Even mm -hmm. like just a, a normal book. If you were to just read that the way that you normally would, it's mm -hmm. completely different than if you were to say that out loud. And that's why um, it's important to say it out loud, to get in the shower, to speak it there, to record it, to do all those things. Like uh, it's, 100%. it's an integral part of, of, of succeeding in that, mm -hmm. in that world. Yeah, I mean, I don't even like to have little like I know some people on PowerPoint have like a little note oh, section. Notes too. I yeah, hate yeah. like I can't do that, and it's three minutes. Like if you can't remember three minutes of something, you're in a problem. And it was funny, like every time we would go through launch, I'd always sort of joke like, if only there was this company that I could send this three minute video to, and maybe get a little bit of feedback back from uh, from someone that knows what they're doing. 
So I do think long-term potential for us, maybe there's a way that we can all work together to get entrepreneurs a little bit more personalized feedback in their pitch and maybe help you guys make a little bit extra money as well on the side. Because I think there's there's a need for it. Um, you know, there, there's a thing in sports that we've realized where if you ask coaches or ask athletes to go back through their practice, go back through their games, they accurately remember 30%. The same is true for all of this. Like we, it, whether it's a, a a TV show, whether it's a three minute pitch, what you accurate, accurately remember is going to be a far less than you would ever imagine. That's where the video, like the video, doesn't lie. Like you can go back right. and see what the reality is. I'm starting that business today. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That I think I can place, help. But I'm doing, like, I feel like I honestly, like, I feel like I've done that in the past. You know, Tim's done a bunch of uh, a ton of pitch practice and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done. I mean, thousands of performances myself. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you consider each, you know, piece of 100%. media that I've done, like it's important. Mm -hmm. Like 100%. what does blaze mean? Uh, it, 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 there's not a meaning behind it, to be honest with okay. you. It was just like a, a fun name. It sounded like had energy to it. Um, it was short and we could get the domain name. <laughs> that is, uh, something that is often overlooked, but so, so important. 100%. Like, to be honest with you, like, when we first, like, the first, first iteration of what, what we now have with Blaze, the company was called Racers 360 because at the time, like, I didn't know what we would be doing. I knew it was something in racing. And then we started building this asynchronous coaching. And then we're like, wait a minute, like, this, this doesn't just apply to racing. Like, this problem exists across the industry. So we had to, like, rebrand our racing. Mm over and, and all of that so like the name in the early days just like if you can find a great name it's great but it doesn't really matter yeah what mm. sports do you have on the platform now so we currently have three different types of motorsports car racing motorcycle racing go-karting uh and then we're really focused now on launching into soccer and basketball which are those are pretty much live our mobile applications literally coming out probably this week or early next week um and we already have i want to say six amazing coaches on the platform there we, we have a big focus on women's sports um so a lot of our current coaches are current nwsl players like we have sarah waldmo who is just a rock star four-year starter at ucla team captain when they won the national championship eight-year starter in nwsl she's actually on uh she's she's actually having a kid so she's taking the year off of nwsl um to to kind of go through that process which is awesome and coaching with us and then we have like zoe morris who's in the nwsl Cassie Miller, who just played in the NWSL championship game as the starting goalkeeper last year. Um, and then we have a coach out of the LA Galaxy as well. So some really cool soccer coaches there. Okay, so uh, behind the scenes, we talked about uh, the raise and how it was a little bit more difficult than maybe you thought it was going to be. I, I, I'm interested in your... <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. So I wanted to ask you this question when you said it before. And so I held out to ask so I can get some live reaction. But... <laughs> Do you think that maybe there was confusion because of the sports it was tied to at that time that people couldn't see it being a super big thing? Because even now, you just talked about soccer being there. I still think soccer isn't that big of a thing in, in, in America, at least, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then women's sports obviously growing, but not to the extent of these other uh, of these other kind of platforms, the other sports. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe there was some confusion there where people didn't see like it being a, a, a huge opportunity? Yeah. So I, what I would say is I think it depends totally on the individual. Um, I would say early on when we were trying to raise being in motorsports only, for sure you have that that issue in motorsports where it's a bit of a different sport. It's an edge case. Um, I, I feel like once we started talking about soccer and basketball, that became a little bit 
less of an issue because then they could see it kind of scaling. Uh, I do think there's a massive opportunity in the long tail of sports, much bigger than anyone has ever realizes. Sports like pickleball, um, sports like even things like canoeing, which are way bigger than you would actually realize. Um, so I think it's, if you look at the long tail, people underestimate the long tail. But once you talk about and focus on the major sports, that became a little bit less of an issue. Um, I would say the more sophisticated uh, investors that we spoke to, more your, your actual venture capitalists, didn't have that concern. It was more mm-hmm. about execution, where the market's going. And I think there was more confusion over companies that have tried to do online coaching in the past, but do it very differently than us. And the blended, like the blurry lines between that. But if I'm talking to more angel investors, that's actually where those concerns more came up. So I think it depends mm-hmm. a little bit on the investor type that you're talking to. It's interesting. So I got into triathlon about three years ago mm-hmm. and the top athletes there hit your your points that you're talking about like they don't make a lot of money they're trying to find other stuff mm-hmm. i mean these guys i mean you, you you hear these guys that are like five six seventh in the world in in the iron man race uh, a couple weeks ago and you know they're making no money and it's like they're they're looking for these opportunities so 100%. i mean I, I, I think there's a ton of sports like that too and 100%. so it is I, and just like i think tim said this in the intro like he got immediately uh, when, when I knew you were coming on, I was like, I get it immediately. Like it, <laughs> it, it makes sense just cause it's in motorsports doesn't mean anything. Like mm-hmm. it can grow into something else. And so, mm-hmm. did um, you see the, cool. the most recent, uh, I don't know if you watch Apple TV, but I want to say it was like make or break. It was a, a phenomenal like show on surfing and it kind of went mm. through the world surfing league. And it's, it's sort of like, I don't know if you guys saw drive to survive on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is the big form of the one show. It's that for yeah. surfing. And there's, there's literally it was highly recommended, but there's literally someone that's on the, the top tour top 30 in the world that's living in his car yeah wow you know like it's if people don't realize you know how tough it really is and how few are actually you know the lebron jameses of the world uh and and even even if you make it to the nba where your base salaries are great what's the stat i mean i feel like i've heard something like 40 percent go bankrupt within three or four years years, yeah Yeah, it's it's really sad um so giving them the opportunity to hopefully do this and do it right would be would be really cool I want to use a stat just because I'm going to say this real quick. So I had lunch with Bruce Smith, the uh, Buffalo Bill great. Tim, I don't know if I've ever told you this. this No, I've not heard this story. Okay. So I had lunch with him like five years ago. And it was right when the 30 for 30 ESPN show about broke came out. Mm -hmm. And um, he, (laughs) I was trying to get him to uh, invest in something that we were doing. He passed on the deal, but he told me this story about all these athletes being broke. He's like, yeah, we, we would, we would go out every night. And something on the lines of this, I'm going to screw up the, the quote, but he's like, we would go out every night and uh, we'd spend a hundred thousand dollars every single night or something like that on, on the most ridiculous stuff. Um, and we weren't smart enough to realize we should just buy the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he learned that now. Cause he's, he's into real estate and a bunch of other, mm-hmm. he's made a bunch of uh, really great deals, but he's like, we were too dumb at that time to, realize that why am I getting this? I don't think it was a hundred thousand dollars a night, but you know, a 30, 40, $50,000 tab every single night or several nights a week. Why don't we buy this bar for $150,000? I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's crazy that that happens. Mm -hmm. And, and hundred percent, they all go, they all go broke. Yeah. hundred percent. Buffalo bill. Great. There you go.
Yeah, what, from uh, Andrew, 60% of former NBA players are bankrupt within five years of retirement. That's, I mean, that's crazy. And that's, that's the, the, that, those are the people that are making good money, right? Those aren't the people that we're actually normally talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. What, uh, so like, what kind of, how do you onboard the coaches? Uh, yeah. And what's been the, uh, the reception from the coaches that want to get onboarded? So, you know, as a marketplace, uh, there's always going to be one side that's easier than the other. For us, recruiting coaches is the much easier side. Now, part of mm. part of the advantage we have is like I literally built the platform for me as a coach. So I know how to talk to coaches. I know the problems they have because I, I live those problems, right? Um, and that also helps from a product perspective because I know what like what I'm looking for. How do I save myself time? So when we talk to coaches, all of them get it. Like all of them had bad coaches when they were uh, early on. In fact, I talked to a, a WNBA player who says even in the WNBA, she struggles with bad coaches still. So she totally gets it. She like they they want to make an impact. They want to help people, but they know how hard it is. And like they everyone sort of dabbled with this idea where it's like, hey, Dropbox me your video or send me an like. And if you look at coaches Instagram DMs or players of Instagram DMs, a lot of it is you know, kids or, or amateur players are like, hey, what do you think about this? So hmm. as soon as we tell the concept, they're like, oh my God, it's a no-brainer. Um, so for them, in terms of onboarding, the great thing is because we're a believer, because we can scale coaches, we don't need to let anyone and everyone be a coach on our platform. Now, maybe in, in five to seven years, we'll just open it up but have a distinction, but we're, we can actually curate our coaches which helps protect our brand and helps protect our coaches as well, uh, which are they're associating their brand with us. So what that allows me to do is it allows me to coach them on how to coach online, how to coach asynchronously, which is a different skill set. But what surprised me, and I think what, what a lot of people will think is like, well, how do you, you know, if I don't get to talk live with the coach and they're not there in person with me, like it, it can't work. And I probably would have had a similar thought. I was like, you know, it's probably going to be 30% as good as working with them in person. That's what's been the most surprising thing is I've literally worked up with some customers now for three and a half for four years. And I get messages from them like, Dion, when I'm out on track, like I hear you in my head. And like it turns into almost like, – it is a friendship at this point. Like I literally got to meet a few of them in person and it's like a total friendship. So it, it's how do, you, how do you do that? And that's really the magic of our product and, and what we can do with our coaches is I can coach them towards building relationships, towards you know how do you – focus not on too many things how do you stay engaged how do you keep the customer progressing forward all of those small details that really really matter um and i think that's really where our special sauce is is that we can do it online we can do it in a way that's flexible for our coaches but we do it in a way that you it doesn't feel cold you don't feel disconnected you feel like your coach is there with you because they actually are i mean i don't know how it is the rest of the world but i know here locally where i live i mean it's so competitive if you get into high school sports and unless you're on club sports or some sort of travel team i mean it just it is really really competitive uh i would assume that there's probably a lot of people that are using your platform to help get that edge mm -hmm. to get to the high school team um and then take it one step further i mean i would i would think that it would be a, a great resume thing to say hey i was coached by mm. so and so as mm -hmm. as i'm looking to go to the collegiate level is, mm -hmm. is that what you're seeing yeah. on your side you know it's interesting um 
I, I, there's definitely that use case 100%, right? And, and I look back to to my youth soccer days. And I remember at the time I was living, I played in, lived in Sydney. I played in Sydney and I moved to, to LA and I was playing in LA and I was, I was pretty good at soccer. I was, you know, starting and, and doing well. And then I moved to Miami and then all of a sudden I was like the worst player on the field. Like I just got my butt kicked and I had no clue. Like I showed up to practice and I did the practice things and I wasn't really improving. I didn't know about what I should be doing outside of team practice. Like what type of individual training could I be doing? Like I it just didn't even enter my mind. So I think the first and foremost is it opens up a, a, a situation, not just for youth athletes, but for, for athletes of any age where they now know like what goes into improving, which you think is obvious, but it's like, I literally built this company. I didn't know about this when I was young, right? And I worked with coaches and it just wasn't, a, a thing in my mind. So first is open up the knowledge of like what you should be doing. What can you do? Uh, what does improvement actually look like? But the second part of this is this will, because it's personalized, you don't have to be that elite level athlete that's trying to make it into college for our platform to be helpful. To be honest with you, my focus is more the everyday athlete that doesn't, you know, that doesn't get the coach's attention because the coach has 30 athletes and they're going to focus on the good two players, right? And everyone else kind of, you know, gets, those are the, the, the kids that I want to focus on. And if you look at it like motorsports, we're not coaching the, the kids that want to go professional. Most of my customers are grassroots racers that drive for fun, that want to improve because we're all, we're all competitive people. But don't have an avenue to do in it. Don't want to spend thousands of dollars for a coach. Just want to be able to send in a video. It's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit more relaxed, but still really great information. So when I think when you look at our platform, you'll have the elite level athlete, but that's probably the smaller percent. It's more the larger base of the people that want to get there or the, the the older athletes that are doing this for fun, that are still highly competitive, that want an easy situation to get coached on because you guys have busy lives and you don't have time to take an extra hour out of your day or, or a few days a week to go to a coach and, and all of that type of stuff. So I think it, it, it's pretty flexible to what the person's looking for. So I was a swim coach, head coach, five years, four four years awesome assistant coach type of thing <laughs> and um it's interesting because now i look at stuff and so uh a former guest uh nate shoal he's got a company called swimner they make digital pace clocks i'll ask <laughs> him some questions sometimes about swimming um he coached collegiately <laughs> uh still coaches he actually is um teaching some navy folks now um how to wow. um get into buds like the, there's a swim stroke for that mm. um tim he told me this yesterday it's pretty interesting stuff there's a combat side stroke is what it's called um wow sounds exciting it uh, does <laughs> and he also said that one of the things that these guys have to do is a 50 meter underwater oh that that's damn hard by the way man but so it, it's interesting so I, I think about my swimming days it was um i was a good swimmer I had a couple good coaches. I ended up coaching. Um, mm -hmm. But you said something in there that I actually probably think is true about me from the actual technician aspect of being a coach. I think I'm a good um, motivator of people. And mm -hmm. I and I was able to get a lot out of those people. But from a technician standpoint, was I actually a good coach? And so uh, my guess is probably no, I was not a good, I was not an actual good <laughs> technician of a coach. But you, you said that on uh, uh, when users are using Blaze and even some of the WNBA mm -hmm. uh, coaches are saying, hey, we have problems with this. Like, what's a good coach and what's a bad coach? And how does someone 
It's I'm, a great question. That. So look, I think there's 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 not just one type of coach. There's multiple types of coach, right? If you look at uh, even in professional sports, the head coach isn't focused on individual skills, right? They're focused on what's going to make the team better, the dynamics of the game. And what ends up happening is in team sports, when you go to team practice, you're not building your skills. You're building your knowledge of the system. So even in the WNBA, the, the coach that well, the player that we're working with as a coach on our platform, she had to go and seek coaching outside of the system to work on her individual skills. And I think in youth sports, that is completely lost, right? We just assume, hey, we're going to drop our kids off at, at the practice and they're working on the individual skills they're learning they're doing all this type of stuff. And I think the whole system starting to realize that's not what happened. Because I'm talking to a lot of high school coaches and middle school coaches that are saying, we're trying to build in uh, skill building into our systems, but I don't have the time. I don't have the uh, ability. I don't know what to do. So we're trying to essentially show them that we can layer in Blaze as an individual coach for each one of your players that sort of wraps up underneath you. But to, back to your original question, it's like, so what makes a good coach? I think it depends a little bit uh, if you're sort of the head coach, if you're a skill building coach or what your role is. But at a high level for me, it is communication skills first and foremost. If you, you can have all of the knowledge in the world, but if you can't communicate effectively, you're going to not be a good coach, right? And that's why a lot of professional athletes themselves aren't necessarily good coaches. And we curate for that. So communication skills, and that means, you know, the old adage of like, uh, there's a saying, I, I'm always butchering this, but it's like, if you can't explain this to a, a, a five-year-old, you probably don't know it well enough. I, as a coach, I simplify highly technical things. Driving a race car is a very technical skill-based sport. And there's a, like, there's physics involved in why we do certain things. If I try to explain the physics behind it, it's going to go right over someone's head. So being able to explain it to a five-year-old, really, really important. Being able to have a high EQ, put yourself in the learner's shoes and understand what they're dealing with, where they've come from, what their challenges are, that being able to do that is such an influence to how you communicate. So that's number two. Number three, you do have to have a good understanding of what you're saying. I know that sounds super obvious, but a lot of people are just going to go right into coaching and they think they know something, but they know it's the... There's a there's kind of a graph where it's like a beginner thinks they know everything, and then the more you do it, the more the you realize how little you actually know, and then you finally start to build up knowledge. So there is an issue with that. But then also, if you take coaches, this is going to sound a bit strange, but I would say it's sixty percent what you say, the knowledge, and how you say it, and forty percent is is a persona, is an energy. You've got to be able to not talk monotone and be boring and all of that. Like you've got to have a little bit of a presentation that keeps people engaged and bought in and stuff like that. So for me, it's like a mix of all of these things together. I'm a, I'm curious, Dion, one of the things that Zach and I always talk about, it seems like on almost every single show is how sports uh, translates into business, especially mm -hmm. in the startup realm. What's your take in terms of being a professional athlete? Mm -hmm. How is that translated over to you Shoot. as a founder of a startup? It's huge, right? Um, and I would say, look, I'm still learning every single day and I'm still getting better every single day. But for me, I think there's there's a few major concepts. And I had this first realization, gosh, I would say it, I was reading something, some bl like blog or newsletter or something like that from another founder probably a month or two ago. 
actually it was a, it was an Elon thing I want to say and it, it this was a, a light bulb moment where I think he was talking about how most companies and most founders are are focused on output metrics on focused on for sure revenue focused on new user acquisition and obviously you 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 look at those you know those but really where you should be more focused or exclusively focused is your input metrics and what drives those outputs and if i look back to my racing days if you know the output is your lap time how fast are you but i'm spending very little time focused on that i'm focused on how I brake, how I roll in the speed, what the car balances. And we're focused on all of those input metrics that drive the output metrics. And it was like kind of like an, oh man, like that's so obvious once I heard it. And that's how we, that's how we perform in sports. So I think that's one. Two is, you know, in sports, when you get to the professional level, you always have to be on. Like you can't have a bad day. Yeah, so we got to be on your A game. Yeah, exactly. So we yeah. put, a, and, and motorsports is hard. Like we don't get to practice, right? It's really expensive to get a race car on the racetrack. And the way our sport works is it's like a, a pro-am style. So we had a, a gentleman driver is what they call it. It's like the amateur driver that's paying the bills, that hires me, that drives 30 minutes of the race. And then the, I, we do a driver change and we come fuel and tires and I take over. And they have practice. They have qualifying. We're sharing the car. So even more so when we get to practice, they're the ones that are you know, practicing their driving, this and that. I don't get very long in the car. And when I'm in the car, it's not about me. It's about getting the car set up right. So I've got to be on from, from the day, like from the, the first lap. So all of that mental prep that you learn about and, and how you use meditation, how you use square breathing, how you can really find the zone, that translate over to business, right? Like performance is performance. I don't care if you're bagging groceries, but you want to do it effectively and quickly, like performance you're doing the same thing. So it's business, it's sports, it's whatever you're doing in life. That pre-meeting prep, that pre-game prep, um, for me, definitely translates over. Those are the two major things I look at. And that probably the number three is a competitive drive. Like I'm a very competitive person. Um, and that definitely, you need that in business and you need that in sports if you're going to take it at a high level. When you were, if you were to meet someone at an event mm -hmm. years ago, um, how would you introduce yourself? Like, what would you say? Like, hi, I'm Dion. I'm a race car driver. Is that what you'd say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Yeah, and then and now you say what? Uh, hey, I'm Dion. I'm co-founder of Blaze, a, a coaching platform for athletes. Got it. You seem super passionate about being a race car driver from from way back when. Was mm -hmm. it a hard transition for you? Oh, yeah. Um, to 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 be like, yo, I'm I'm not I'm I'm kind of given. I'm, I'm using these words. I don't know if these are true, but like I'm giving up on my dream of being a race car driver to go do this other thing. Like yeah. walk me through that whole scenario. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory because I think it's relevant here. Um, so when you're, when you're a professional athlete of almost any kind, most of the time you're on year by year contracts and in a race and you can be on even race by race contracts. Mm -hmm. So there's really no job security. The in, in my form of motorsports, which is like uh, endurance sports car race, and everyone knows like Le Mans 24 hours or Daytona 24 hours, that's the type of racing I was doing. The, the, the highest level, the thing that every driver wants is to drive for a manufacturer. And during my time, the top manufacturer every driver wanted to drive for was Audi. They had the, the best equipment, the best engineers, best everything. And I, I had an opportunity to where I was driving for a team that had an Audi. It wasn't the official Audi team, but my teammate was an official Audi driver. And the interesting thing is like, we're working together to win the race. We're driving the same car. We trade off, 
but your biggest teammate is sorry, your biggest biggest competitor is also your teammate because they have the exact same equipment to you. So throughout the year, we did really well. We finished third in the championship. I had five pole positions. We had a bunch of podiums, and I fared very well against my teammate, who was a, a German guy that, that came over to the states. So then I went over and talked to Audi Sport, which is in Germany, and said, "Hey, like you know, I performed. Like, is there an opportunity?" And they they told me, you know, unfortunately, we can't hire American drivers. You got to talk to Audi of America. So I went over to Audi of America and I talked to them. They're like, "Well, we don't draw, we don't hire race car drivers uh, in Audi of America. You got to talk to Audi Germany." Now I'm like, "Okay, what do I do?" So luckily, I, at the time, my dad was very involved in my career, and he gave me a really interesting suggestion. We said, "Pitch Audi of America, not on hiring you as a race car driver." Hire you as the brand ambassador, a marketing role, but then have you as their official driver as well. So I actually got to pitch Audi of America's at the time, CEO Scott Keogh on it. And he bought in, hired me right away. And that's where I realized I was never going to be a, a corporate person because I lasted for one year and I was trying to work with corporate on marketing as well and, and went over people's heads and, and, and got myself fired really quickly. But part of this is so now I have the opportunity to drive for Audi. I didn't have a full season opportunity, but I thought this would be the long-term job security. But after a year, I was out and everyone associated me as like the Audi driver, but then I wasn't. And then it was happened so late that I didn't have a full year ride. And I would get these like last minute opportunities. I'd literally get a call on like a Thursday. Hey, Dion, one of our drivers sick. Come out to this race weekend. And literally, I'd never driven the car before. My very mm -hmm. first lap in that car was like the out lap coming to the green flag. And different cars are like a different it, it's so different like you there's so much learning and I, you know I performed pretty well but not amazingly well and i just started looking on the outside in and you know like the money's not great the job security is not great do i want to be living you know paycheck to paycheck answering to to rich people essentially for the rest of my life and i said no like i that doesn't sound fun um, so then I was like, well, what's next for me? Like, what do I do? My whole life was racing. I dropped out of college and like, you know, this is what I know. And at the time, my dad actually was, they were moving to South Africa and he met some soccer player that had a similar struggle. And he's like, the soccer player just put out content on online and people started to know him. And all of a sudden these opportunities started uh, opening up. So for me, I was like, well, I, I can do that. I've got knowledge. There's not out there. So like literally within a day, I opened up a Shopify website, built it and filmed a couple videos, threw up like, hey, book a Zoom call with me for 200 bucks, something like that. Had my first customer within the day. And then I started, you know, this sounds like a fun path to me. Like this, I can control my own destiny here. Um, but every single day you would feel like a failure, right? Like you dropped out of racing mm -hmm. and, and, and you're building this company and, it's tough. Um, but then slowly, little by little by little, you start to build, you change your identity. My identity was tied to my racing. Now my identity is tied to the success of what we're doing with Blaze. So it just takes, it takes time. And it's still the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I think we have a lot of work to do to be successful at Blaze. Um, but I look at some of my friends that are, are still racing and still struggling. And I look at that, I'm like, I don't have the will to spend every off season, every Christmas, every New Year's in a bad mood because I don't know what I'm doing that next year, mm. and I'm trying to put programs together, and it's a, it's a tough life. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking, as a race car driver, so, you know, you're traveling around the track 200 miles an hour, and uh, I mean, you've got to be able to like slow things down, 100 to, to make the to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. 
that that probably has also helped you uh, in terms of, I mean, there's some high pressure situations in business as well. And Mark Cuban, one of the things he says is business is the toughest sport. Uh, yeah, that, He's uh, right. This is tougher than driving race cars. <laughs> <laughs> in, yeah. in, what, in what sense uh, has been the most challenging thing, thing for you to overcome? Yeah. I mean, honestly, th there's a lot. Um, for me, the, a, a bigger challenge is, you know, I've, never done any of this before um so learning to become a better operator um has been a, a it's a, it's interesting like i think in the investment world especially early stage one of the questions that i've never been asked that i think is actually probably one of the mo most important questions especially for first-time founders is like operational questions like what are you doing to improve what are you doing today how are how, like wh where are your challenges and how far have you come like I, there's, there's a whole realm there and i think that's one of the most important parts of running a business is the operations behind it to get things out of the way for your team and how do you do that um so for me i think learning that is really challenging the the other part is you know in, in racing i make a, a decision I see the result right away. I know mm. the input. I see the output right away. Business is not like that, right? Like it's, I, I think this is the right path. My gut tells me this is the right path, but there's a thousand different ways to do things. Um, there's so much variability involved in it that you could be focused over here, but really you should be focused completely elsewhere. That doesn't, like that doesn't exist as much in sports. Um, instant gratification. Yeah, instant gratification yeah. for sure is a big, big thing. Um, so I, you know, I think from, for, for my perspective, it's operationally, it's the instant gratification because, you know, how to recruit people and how to communicate and how to, you know, build a team, you do all of that in motorsports. So that mostly comes naturally. Uh, it's all the stuff that you don't do in sports that I think is really, really tough. How long you been doing this? Uh, we started playing around with this concept in 2018, but really started taking it seriously in 2019. How old are you? I'm turning 32. And how long were you a race car driver for? Uh, I started racing go-karts when I was 13 uh, and then d turned pro when I was 17, 18 and then competed wow. professionally for 10 years. Okay. So that's my math is 15, 16, 17 years being a quote unquote yep. race car driver of some sorts. And you're maybe two years all in on this, three years three, all in on this. Three years all yeah. in on this. I'm, I mean, to... If, if we're just thinking about that from go-karts to you turn pro when you're a win? Uh, eight, 17, turning 18. So, I mean, next year is when you become pro, if you think about it in the same kind of stats, yeah. right? I That's mean, a it, really it's, good point. It, it's, it's, it's a long game, right? Mm -hmm. And I, there's a TED talk that says timing is so important. And then there's another TED talk, something like this, that says people quit too early and all this stuff. And it's just like, you got to push through that. And so you, you use the word failure. I think failure is a buzzword, but, but that's, a that's okay. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll ask the question. And it's how that, you but. feel. I agree with you, though, for sure. But you said being a founder many days, you felt like a failure. I'm just interested in why you felt like that. Did you have like these grandiose, like, oh, I'm going to be doing this earlier? Well, like, why, like what, where was the failure aspect of that? Yeah. So I would say for, for me, it was probably, it depends where in the, in the journey you're talking. Early on, I was more rooted in, I'm doing this company, but I'm still like, I'm not racing anymore. And the fact that I'm not racing anymore, it, like that's where the, the failing sort of comes in, like. I was fortunate enough to drive for the top teams, the top manufacturer, and win some of the biggest races in the world. But I didn't want to win the Daytona 24-hour once. I wanted to win it 10 times, and mm. I didn't win it 10 times. Uh, I didn't become where my mind said I needed to. 
Um, so it's sort of rooted in that initially. But then at the same time, now that my identity is on, on the Blaze side, it, it, you know, it's really funny. You kind of mentioned you know, the, the f- failing fast versus breaking through things. It kind of goes back to so much mis- misinformation out there, right? Where there's so some feedback that like you just gotta fail fast, right? Pour pour gasoline on, see if it's gonna work. And then there's a lot of other things that's like most of business is just keeping going. Um, so it's funny how opposite it is. But for me now, I think it's where is my identity now? It's on the growth of Blaze and the improvement of Blaze. So for me, those anyone that's run a startup, you know, it's like you you're gonna have one great week and if you have one great week you know the next week's gonna be a totally crap week it's just like the way that it works right um so for me it's like if i you haven't wait you said weeks you don't mean days i, I mean even days sometimes to be completely honest <laughs> morning you, right? was bad <laughs> evening was great i mean 100 percent. Hmm. so for me it's like i look at if i get a customer support issue and i do all of our customer support it makes me feel terrible like i hate that uh, but then two it's like i look at a company like uh, Hims, my wife works for them. They're a public company. They started at the same time as us. They're probably doing 250. I have no clue what their actual revenue is, right? But like you look at these high-flying rocket ships that went from zero to like, oh, you know, billion-dollar valuation so quickly. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> so that, that doesn't help as well. But the good thing is it's like, hey, I know we're going to get there. Like we're, we have a massive opportunity. And I think if we hit our, if we do our things right, we're going to be bigger than them. It's just not going to be in three years. So I think it's also rooted in that. Where where do you turn to when you're having one of those bad days or bad weeks? Where do you oh. turn to, to to bring yourself back up? It's a good question. I think it depends a little bit. I'm really fortunate. My wife is massively supportive. Um, so she really, really helps. I think having probably actually the the I got this question from one investor. And uh, it was like, what does your partner think about what you're doing? Um, and if it doesn't mm-hmm. make money for the next five years, like what's going to happen? And I think that's a really important question because I'm in, in a fortunate position early on to where, you know, I went from being the supporter to then she's the supporter and we were able to kind of tag team together. Um, so that's really helpful. But then also, you know, I think the one thing that you do in sports is you fail a lot. Like I failed plenty of times in sports and you learn how to deal with that. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, get a failure. You know, I'll, I'll definitely feel bad for a while. Take your breath, focus on the inputs. And then, you know, you, you, you focus on what do I need to fix to get the result that I'm looking for. Um, and, and that sort of helps. So for me, it's the, the ability to analyze and, and take a step back, analyze. Okay. Then let me move on now. It's interesting you mentioned Hims. So you mm-hmm. said Hims. So yeah. that's the uh, the wellness brand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, how much money have you raised for Blaze? We have now raised a total of like seven hundred and eighty k. Okay. So th- this is like, and and I do this myself just from a running perspective, right? So I'll try to compare myself to Tim, who's Boston qualified twice, fast runner, can run really really fast. And you crushed he, it at Boston too, right? Yeah, he's well, amazing. I finished. <laughs> He did great. He did great. Right. And so he, he did great. And I look at me and I'm like, man, I want to be as fast as him. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I look at his trajectory of like how much time he spent into it. And I'm like, okay, well he's, and he's invested a hell of a lot more time into this thing than I have. I got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. If I follow a very similar plan and mm-hmm. process roadmap, I might be able to get there one day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I went on to Crunchbase just to see how much money uh, Hims has worked or mm-hmm. uh, has raised. 
they've raised $233 million, right? So to compare <laughs> yeah. yourself, that's not even raised a million dollars. That's not a, that's not that's like sad. a, I'm dissing you. It's no, just no, totally. Their roadmap, their, mm-hmm. their runway is so much higher. They can do a lot more things because they've raised a ton more money. So yeah. they have a lot more stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I find it often that you really shouldn't. And Peloton does this in their stuff. They're like, don't look at other people's stats. Don't try to be this other person. Mm-hmm. I think it's engraved in our minds that we're so competitive that we want to. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's actually, it, it can be a really good thing and a really terrible thing at the same time. Cause it's like, trust the process. Yeah. Unless you're, yeah. The, unless you're the Philadelphia 76ers and apparently that process <laughs> yeah. has been terrible. Don't trust that process. Right? I went to West Virginia university. Our thing right now is trust the climb. I'm still trusting it, but like, <laughs> don't, don't compare yourself to elite people. Mm-hmm when you really aren't trying to be an elite person. And I feel yeah. like your businesses are probably different anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, look, I, I totally agree that, for sure. I, looking at that way. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And, and you look at their, their one example, there's a few others that are like, you know, they raised 10 million to write, to get to their first million in ARR. Right. And that's not going to be us. We're going to get to our first million in ARR with a lot less money raised, but a lot longer path to get there. <clears> uh, and I think, you know, in the old funding environment, that was a, that was a bad thing, you know, before mm-hmm. all of the resets we just had, it was all about how quickly do you get to your first million ARR I anticipate now, you know, over the next few years, be interested to hear what you guys think about this, but I think it'll be more about how much did you burn to get to your first year, first mm-hmm. million of ARR, even timelines still matter, but it'll matter a lot less, which makes us feel a little bit better. And, and it'll probably get us to a better fundamental business perspective as well. Um, but we want to be an elite company. Like we, I think we have an opportunity too. there's going to be a, a Decacorn built in this space. Um, so we're definitely very focused on trying to get there. Um, now, whether it's us, whether it's not, you know, that, that'll be TBD, but I think there's a, there's a big opportunity here. Can you spell that word? D E C A C O R N. Did I get it right? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> Sounded good. Yeah, to I me. would much rather you, right. get, rather you get there than uh, know how to spell it. Right? Exactly. Right. You <laughs> can learn how to spell it after you get there. <laughs> what are you, uh, what are you most uh, optimistic about in terms of with, within your business? Yeah. I mean, look, I think. The, the science that's come out recently on the need for one-to-one coaching has us so pumped up. There's a, something, a study that came out called Bloom's Two Sigma Problem. Uh, and essentially what they found, they did a study on general learning, like 30 to 1. And then they uh, took those kids and gave them access to one-to-one coaching. And what they found is when they had, they took the, the kids in the 50th percentile of the kind of general co- coaching. So right in the middle of their class, not great, not terrible, just right in the middle. And all they did was give them access to an individual coach. Those kids jumped up into the 98th percentile. So they went from the average to the top 2%. And the only thing that changed was individual coaching. So what's interesting when we talk about the current educational landscape, and I, obviously we're talking about sports today, but my big focus isn't just sports. It's, it's almost anywhere that learning happens is where coaching happens and where this can make an impact. If you can now all of a sudden provide access to something like that. And it's the people just don't have access to individual coaching. If you can now break down the barriers to access, you're going to make a massive impact in a lot of lives. And if you could do that, you're going to make a lot of money doing it as well. Um, and not only are we make a lot of money for the business, we're going to make a lot of money for our coaches, which is then going to change the landscape because a lot of people don't 
a lot of quality people don't coach today because it's not a quality job. You don't make mm. much money doing it. So I think we can break down the areas of uh, barriers of access to individual coaching. We're going to make coaches more money and we're going to get better coaches, which is just going to make the whole cycle really start to spin. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm really excited as, as our mobile app launches, as we can really start to build more and more automation into it for our coaches, they're going to make more money on per hour basis. They're going to be able to work with more people in an individualized format. More people are going to get access to it. We can drop prices and then you've got a really good uh, flywheel spinning. It's awesome. Hopefully yeah. we'll see if we can get there. Yeah. I mean, um, to me, we'll, Oh, go ahead, Zach. I was going to ask him what kind of car he drives. Uh, well, so my parents moved to South Africa in 2016 and they're originally from there. Uh, so when they did that, they, they kind of just let us get their old Q5. So we have a 2011 Q5, um, that has, we just crossed a hundred thousand miles on a road trip down to Austin. Um, but before that had a GTI, I love GTIs, but unfortunately we have to kind of sell that to, to keep, keep kind of paying the bills and stuff like mm-hmm. that when we moved out to the Bay area. Yeah. It, I, I, you, when you're driving the, the race car versus the, your normal car, like, do you, <laughs> Is that an ease? Like, you know, you're in a different car? Like, you know, Oh, totally. Like- I mean, a race car is like the most opposite environment that like, so like race cars. I always cars, wanted to ask that question to a race totally. car driver, Tim. Come on. <laughs> so race cars are, you know, in the, in the race, 140, 150 degrees. Um, it is like, uh, it is in a, a violent environment. High G forces on the body, like no power steering. The steering wheel's heavy. It's hot. Um, the car is way stiffer. So like, it, you know, in a street car, it like moves, the seat moves. In a race car, you've got a seat molded to your body. You're strapped in. You don't move. So Just it's like, like your it, Jeep, Zach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So completely different environment. Did you move to uh, Austin uh, sight unseen or did you visit before uh, you decided to make the move? So we had been here a few times. Um, you know, I've raced at Coda a few times during my career. Uh, and, and the plan was originally we were planning to go out to the Bay Area because my wife wanted to switch careers from mechanical engineer to software engineer. And she wanted to take boot camp there. Uh, so it was supposed, let's go for six months and then move to Austin. And then, you know, four years later after the Bay Area, we finally did it. Uh, we did move into this place. I had never seen this place before, though. So she went down to Austin, found the place. And I said, sure, let's do it. And my first opening up the doors as we were moving in. Yeah. Coda is the Circuit of Americas. I've, I've, yeah, I've sorry, seen, Circuit I've, of Americas. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I've, I've seen pictures of that place. It looks pretty rad. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty cool facility in the United States. You know, we the, most of the time Europe has better facilities on racetracks, but then we have better racetracks. So it's one of our best facilities here, which is cool. Okay. Yeah. Tim? No, I uh, I wish you much much success uh, with your journey. It's uh, and I that. look forward to following following along. No, I appreciate the, the way. I appreciate that and appreciate all of your support as well. And um, hopefully we can get into this running ecosystem soon and, and, and get you as a user as well as the supporter too. Yeah, for sure. I, I love what you're doing and uh, wish you all the very, very best. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun uh, and hopefully we can do it again soon. For sure. Was, would be great. Is there anything we haven't talked about that talked about that you want to talk about? No, I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, I would say if anyone has any questions on what we do or interested, like feel free to reach out to me personally anytime. Uh, my email address is Dion, D-I-O-N, at blaze.io, and you can see Blaze there. Um, so I'm always available. Go to our website. We've got a chat support system there as well. If you've got questions, reach out. We're happy to help in any way we can. Um, and yeah, looking forward to hopefully 
getting you guys connected with some good coaches soon. Awesome. Thank you, Dion. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You guys Thanks, too. Thanks, Dion. Cheers. Cheers.